it is a, a major thing to bring the word of God to God's people. So today we're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go from verse 26 of chapter 5 to verse 5 of chapter 6. Really the, the, that final verse of chapter 26, I mean of chapter 5, verse 26, really belongs with the, what, what comes next. So if you have your Bibles and want to go to Galatians 5 and 6, that's where we'll be today. I want to ask a couple questions and sort of turn what Jim shared this morning. We're, we're going to have these everyday world changer moments once a, once a month. We're going to have people share how God is using them in their world around them. And so I want to turn that around for us this morning a little bit. And I want to ask you to think about this. You have, if you have your notes, you have some place to write this down to think about this, because later on in the message, I'm going to come back to this, and I'm going to actually ask maybe for a little interaction. I know that's scary, but be prepared. I may call on you. No, I I won't do that. I will ask only for volunteers. So here's a question. In the last several months, or it could go back a little farther, just in, in recent history, have you had a physical, an emotional, or a spiritual need? A physical need, maybe a health issue, maybe a financial issue, maybe uh, you need someone, you needed help with your, you're disabled for some reason for a time and you needed someone to help you with your yard work, just a physical, um, an emotional, you know, a struggle of some sort in a relationship, some kind of issue like that, or a spiritual need, you know, struggling in some area of your faith, struggling spiritually. In the last couple months, have you had one of those? And then, the second question to go along with that, were you helped to meet that need by someone in the church, someone in the body of Christ? Specifically bridges, that would be great, but if you want to go outside of that, that's okay. Did someone help you to meet that physical, emotional, or spiritual need? Okay? So that's something to move around in your mind as we go through Galatians here. I do still want you to pay attention to the message, to God's word, which I'm very nervous about. Last week, we looked at the key to a a righteous, flesh-defeating life. A righteous, right before God, flesh-defeating life. We saw that self-powered obedience to the law is not the answer. That was the answer that uh, the Judaizers were bringing to the Galatians, and that's what Paul is responding to as he writes this letter to them. It's the, the answer is not found in man-made religion. The answer is not found in the elemental principles of the world that he pointed out of, of earning your salvation, of doing good works to earn things. That's not the answer. The answer we found out last week is what? If you were here, you, you should know this. I'm just saying. To, remember, walk. Walk by the Spirit. Thanks, Gary. I was out there hanging on a limb, ready to fall. To walk by the Spirit. The answer is to walk by the Spirit. That's how we defeat the flesh in our life. Paul said, Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Submit. What we talked about, submitting to the work of the Spirit in your life. The Spirit is seeking to do things in your life, and our responsibility is to submit to His leadership. The Spirit will convict our hearts. He'll renew our minds. He'll guide our hands. 
He'll sanctify our lives. That's the Spirit is working. Our role is by faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not only working in our lives, but he gives us the power to do our part. We would have no faith if he didn't give us the power to have faith. It's all him. By faith, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in that new life that Jesus Christ brings. The new life he's given. To allow the Spirit to fill and lead us. That's the key to righteous living. That's how we fight the flesh. Remember the list Paul gave of the works of the flesh last week. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, and, and there's more. And these and things like these. The list isn't exhaustive. There's, there's plenty of works of the flesh. Now let's suppose, and I hope this is true in, in some of our lives. Now suppose you're, you're now walking by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is overcoming the works of the flesh in your life. Over, maybe gradually, maybe he's pointing out some new works that need to be overcome. Maybe you've taken care of this, this list and now he's pointing out some new things, convicting you in new ways in your life. You're no longer really seeking to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me ask this question. From your experience, from your knowledge of scripture and your personal experience, will the enemy now retreat? Will he give up? Will he leave you alone? Will he say, I surrender you're so good at this spirit walking, I'm out of here. Will he stand by as God uses the fruit of the spirit in your life, as God gives you the gifts of his spirit in your life, and you begin to change your world? You begin to become one of these everyday world changers. Will he give up? Will he surrender? No. We know he won't. Paul says no. Fat chance. It's not going to happen. The enemy, in partnership with our flesh, which we learned last week is dying, but not quite dead, still has some life, still has these convulsions, he just changes tactics. His goal for those who are walking by the Spirit is to cause them to stumble and fall, to fall back into the works of the flesh, to make us ineffective for God's kingdom. So Paul, in verses 5 26 to 6.5, I think he addresses the issues that face those who are seeking to walk by the Spirit. Those who are seeking to submit to the Spirit's leadership and being used by God to impact their world. Those who are ministering to others. Those who are bearing the burdens of others. Those who care for people and are loving people through the power of the Spirit. Those who are engaging in relationships within the body of Christ. You might think that the flesh would no longer be a problem. But that's not the case. Paul makes it clear that we're still subject to temptations. We're still subject to the the works of the flesh. Last week we ended our study with verse 25 of chapter 5. If we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, which is sort of a, a given, we are living, if we're in Christ, he's given us a new life, he's given us the Spirit, we're living by the Spirit Let us also walk by the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit, but now we have a choice. Are we going to now walk by the Spirit? So that's his conclusion to that section. And immediately after encouraging the Galatians and the others, us who read, to walk by the Spirit, Paul issues a warning. Straight out of the gate. Here here it comes. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You can see the problem. Maybe you've seen the problem in your own life. Maybe you've 
seeing the problem in the lives of others. You were gratifying the flesh. You were gratifying the desires of flesh. No problem, no battle. The spirit wasn't in your life. You're practicing the works of the flesh. And then Jesus came. Somehow, the gospel came into your life. Jesus came offering you a new and wonderful life. And you received his glorious offer. You received his offer of this new life. You were born again and you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit gives you power to walk. To walk by the Spirit. And through his power, you're overcoming the desires of the flesh. It's like the, the end of the Star Wars movie. The Star, the Star Wars. There's only one. The first Star Wars movie. And by first, I mean episode four, A New Hope. When Luke Skywalker, using the power of the force, and I'm not really comparing those two, by the way. I'm just illustrating with that. Is able to blow up the Death Star. You guys remember that scene? Use the force, Luke. A great victory over the Empire is won, isn't it? Everybody knows this movie, right? I'm not, I don't have to go into details. And the movie has this huge happy ending. I mean, fanfare and guys up patting each other on the back and receiving medals and awards and everything. But it wasn't over. It wasn't over. Remember, the Empire struck back. Darth Vader wasn't finished. The Empire was injured but not destroyed. And that's what happens in our lives as well. The flesh strikes back. You with Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have won a great battle over the flesh, but the flesh is not finished. In fact, it now moves to the oldest, to its oldest and most reliable tactic. Any guesses what that is? One word? Pride. Pride. The flesh whispers in your ear, hey, you're... you're You're kind of amazing. You're an amazing guy. It's been three months since the last time you fell to that horrific sin, that terrible sin. You're doing way better than Joe and Bill and Bob and George. They just can't seem to overcome. What's wrong with them? You're much better than they are. You've allowed conceit to enter in. The word conceit means to be vain, to desire your own glory. The NASB translates it as boasting, to be boastful. Basically, you're proud of yourself for overcoming the works of the flesh in your life, and you really want people to know about that also. You should be glorifying God for what he's done for you, but the enemy and the flesh turn God's rightful glory into self-glory. And that conceit leads you to deal with the sin of others in the body of Christ in the wrong way by what Paul says, provoking them. The word provoke means to to call forth, to challenge, and to irritate. And it works like this. Maybe you were, in the past, practicing some work of the flesh, some sin. Maybe you were practicing it last year or last week. It doesn't matter. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're you're overcoming. You've overcome. You've you've got a track record now of, of overcoming this work of the flesh. Now you see a brother or sister struggling in the same area. And you feel it's your God-given right and duty to to call him out, to call her out. Not in a a loving, compassionate way, but in an irritating, judgmental way. If I can do it, why can't you? What's wrong with you? Our conceit leads us to provoke. 
And it also leads to envy or jealousy. Those who, who seem to be spiritual and are, that are subtly really just boasting in their accomplishments, this causes people to begin comparing themselves to one another. The church stops being a place to receive love and encouragement and care for the glory of God and becomes a place of self-glorification. People seeking to glorify themselves. It becomes a place of competition. Look at what I do. I love Jesus more than you do. I went to a, a, an evangelistic crusade many years ago and I found it really strange that they started on one side shouting, we love Jesus, yes we do. We love Jesus, how about you? It became this competition. Who can love Jesus the most? And that isn't the way of God. This isn't a competition, it's a, it's a cooperation. When those evident works of the flesh are overcome, the ones that Paul lists in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, the evident ones, the ones that stand out, are flesh. That old dragon, remember we talked about last week, that was slain but still lives, he's prone to adapt. The dragon, I think, changes forms. He now looks more like a, a, maybe a majestic stallion. And instead of doing battle against the flesh, we get on its back and we ride out and we start slashing with our sword at other members of the body of Christ, boasting of our own accomplishments, provoking our brothers and sisters, creating an environment of envy towards one another. Doesn't sound very, ha- very good, does it? Now, I'm happy to say that this, for the most part, doesn't describe Bridges Christian Fellowship. We have visitors here. This isn't us. Well, maybe. Not that I haven't seen it in our church. I have. I won't name names, because I'd have to start with my own. My own fleshly desires to be lifted up and to be glorified. My own sinful ears that love to hear, great sermon, pastor. My own wicked heart that's gratified when I succeed and others fail. So yes, I, we need to pay close attention to Paul's warning. We need to be clear that any sin that we have overcome, any good work that we're able to accomplish for the kingdom of God, is only, underline only, because of God's spirit working in our lives. We need to continually, this needs to be our posture at all times, continually give him glory for renewing and transforming our lives, for defeating the flesh and making us people, the people he wants us to be, making us usable for his purposes, boasting only in the work he's done in our lives. And when we do that, then we are able to properly, I believe, respond to the sin that that happens within the body of Christ, and it does happen. Paul describes this proper response in verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul says, brothers, a person who is sinning needs your help. When he's caught, when you become aware of his sin, what should you do? What should those who are spiritual, what should those who are walking by the Spirit do? Should you provoke that person caught in a transgression? No, Paul says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Rely on that fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. To restore him. The word restore means make things right. It's used for for, uh, other places in in the New Testament for repairing torn nets. Sin creates a tear in the relationship between God and man and between God and other, between other people. We have our horizontal relationship. Horizontal. Yeah, that's it. With one another. And we have our vertical relationship with God. And sin enters in and tears at that relationship. And it needs to be repaired. If you find someone who's torn by this sin in their life, then restore, repair them in the spirit of gentleness. That's an implication. If you're torn, if if you've been torn by sin in your life, then you need to be seeking restoration, and you need to be seeking restoration within the body of Christ. So how do we do this? How do we repair, restore people who've been torn? Well, first, I think it's obvious that we need to be involved in one another's lives at an intimate and oftentimes maybe even difficult level. No one should say about a brother or sister's sin, that's, that's not my business. It's not my problem. It's his problem. It's her problem. We have to be willing to engage in one another's lives. We have to be, even be willing to confront one another in a spirit of gentleness. But to do that, we need a high level of trust, a high level of accountability, and to achieve those high levels of a trust and accountability, we have to have something else at the heart of it all. We have to have love for one another. Again, the fruit of the Spirit. We have to have love for one another. So first, we have to know, we have to trust, and we have to love one another. Or this is, just isn't going to happen. It really comes down to relationships, doesn't it? If you, if you remember our, our, one of our values, it's on the front of your bulletin. We talked about it. Values of bridges is genuine relationships. We believe we, we should be involved in one another's lives, caring for one another. We, and when we do that, this kind of thing can happen, this restoration process. That's why our, our small groups are so important, because we can't really do it here on Sunday mornings all that well, getting into each other's lives. Our small groups are important, just having friendships with one another is important. We have to take the time to develop relationships with one another. And when, we, and when we do, then and only then are we in a position to restore one another when we fall to sin. And so how do we restore one another? Given we have the relationship, how do we restore one another? Primarily by understanding that, that only Jesus Christ has the, the ultimate power to bring restoration to a torn life. And then realizing that Christ has chosen to use his body in that process of restoration. Our job in restoring is to point people to the one they need to go to to be repaired by, the great net mender. We need to point people to Jesus Christ. We point them to his word, which Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, the word of God. We lead them in prayer and we pray for them. We pray with them and for them. We encourage them. We spend time with them. We do our part in bringing them to Jesus for restoration. I so much appreciate those God has used in my life to do this. 
I've been in a number, and one of the places this happens really well, at least for men, is in men's groups, because women don't usually go to those. I've been in a number of men's groups at Bridges where, where God has given me the freedom to confess my sin and to seek restoration. And I'm happy to report that that, that restoration was met with a spirit of, of gentleness through God's word and prayer and encouragement. I thank God for, for the Band of Brothers and other, other groups that provide a place where men and, and women can come and seek restoration. We need those places in the body of Christ. We need those kind of relationships. We need those kind of groups where we can seek restoration. Now notice the end of verse 1. After calling us to restore one another, Paul warns, Paul warns those who are doing the restoring, not the ones who need to be restored, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. As you seek to restore a fallen brother or sister, don't do it in an attitude of superiority. For you're susceptible, for I'm susceptible to the same temptations, to the same sins that they are. Keep watch on your pride, or you you too will fall into temptation and sin. Now this process of restoring, restoring a brother, restoring a sister caught in a sin isn't easy. In fact, it could be called a burden. Restoring a brother caught in a sin is one example of what Paul now calls the church to be about. Verse 2 of chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burden here literally means a a weight. A a heavy weight. Something difficult to carry. It could be a a physical problem. Maybe maybe a, a health issue. We talked about this at the beginning. Financial issue. An emotional problem, something in a relationship. A spiritual problem, issues with your faith. Anything from sin, which calls for restoration, can be a burden, to just needing help paying your bills. The weight of that, the weight of financial issues, to to helping someone with a ministry project. Maybe someone seeking to to step out in faith and, and and it's becoming a burden and you can come alongside and help them. Or someone just needs counseling. They've lost a loved one and are questioning things. They need counseling. They have a burden, a heavy burden on their life. God calls us to bear one another's burdens. If a brother or sister is weighed down by a burden, then we are called to bear it for him or her. The word bear literally means to lift, to carry. Bearing one another's burdens means we're available to help one another in times of need. We're available to help. When there's needs. As the family of God, we're called to, to keep our eyes and our ears open for the burdens that our brothers and sisters in Christ are bearing. And we, when we become aware of burdens, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get involved. And this isn't, this isn't we as elders, we talk about this. We talk about what are the needs in our body and how can we seek to to meet them? How can we help bear people's burdens? But it's, this isn't a call to the leaders of the church. This is a call to the church world, the church, all of us, to be keeping our eyes open for the burdens of others. And I know it's difficult in our culture. From two sides, it's difficult. First, we're, we're so individualistic, we're so proud, that we don't want to admit. The person with the burden doesn't want to admit that they have a burden. 
Well, that makes it difficult. And second, we're so busy and oftentimes self-centered, we can't find time to see the burdens of others. These two cultural issues, they conspire together. The person with the burden, the person that needs to bear the burden, both with issues, makes burden-bearing very difficult. So we need to be countercultural. When we embrace our culture and ignore the word of God, we miss out. We miss out on the, the kind of loving, caring relationship that God wants us to have with one another. We think about it, bearing a burden with someone. If you've, if you've ever been able to do that, it draws you closer. You gain much from the process. And if we don't bear, if, we, if we're bearing one another's burdens, if we're not bearing one another's burdens, we don't fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's a strange phrase for the book of Galatians, isn't it? The law of Christ. In a book that says in chapter 5, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Clearly, we've been freed from the curse and the burden of the Mosaic law. But now Paul is talking about the law of Christ. What does he mean by the law of Christ? Jesus said this about the the commands to love God and to love our neighbor. He said, on these two commands depend the law and the prophets. And in John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The law of Christ is a radical call to love. A love just like his love. A love willing to sacrifice and die for one another. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And that was fairly intense. You know, you think about your own self, your, your health, your, your needs. And love your neighbor as yourself means think about your neighbor in the same way as you think about yourself. Now I think Christ is even ratcheting it up another level. He says, love one another not like you love yourself, but like I love you. Like I sacrificed myself for you, like I died for you. Think about what that means. That's huge. You're considering your neighbor, one another, as more important than yourself. At least when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're sort of on a, an equal footing. Okay. Now Christ is saying you need to, they're, they're more important than you. Like, like he put us ahead of himself. So when Paul says, and so fulfill the law of Christ... the law of love, does he mean that the burden of the Mosaic law that we had has been replaced now by the burden of the much more difficult, much more intense, much more radical law of Christ? There's no longer a list of do's and don'ts of the Mosaic law. It's, it's your heart. It's a transformation of your heart. And I would say to that question, is, is, the, is the law of Christ replacing the, the law of Moses? I would say yes and no. Yes, the law of Moses has been replaced by the law of Christ. But no, the law of Christ is not a burden. The difference is that Moses' law could not change hearts. So that we could not really obey Mosaic law. Our flesh was not defeated by the law of Moses. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, the law was weakened by the flesh. 
But when Christ calls us to obey his law of love, he gives us the power to do it. Christ's law is strengthened by the Spirit. He slays the dragon of our flesh. He changes our hearts. He empowers us by his Spirit, and he fulfills the law through us. Christ never commands us to do anything, including love one another as he loved us. He never commands us to do that on our own. So if you're thinking, I could never do that, correct, you could never love like Christ did. The only way to love like Christ did is to allow Christ to love through you. Therefore, the key to fulfilling the law of Christ, the key to bearing one another's burdens, is to trust Christ to love through through us. And if our trust, and if you trust Christ, you can, in love, devote yourself to the burdens of others. You're loved by Christ, and that love can then flow through to others. Wouldn't it be awesome if we at Bridges loved each other so much that we couldn't help but notice and bear one another's burdens? That we made it our practice to look for ways to help others in the body of Christ. So I just want to take a second here and just see how this goes. I'm on a limb here, so help me out. Remember the question I asked at the beginning of the message? Now, does anyone want to share, 30 seconds or less, like to share how a burden in your life has been lifted by somebody in the body of Christ? Awesome. Good. I'm going to stop us here, because I I hope, I think we could probably go on. Some some people have them and don't want to share, and and other things. I I just, you know, for me, just totally simple, but uh, I hate cars. I I hate car troubles. And uh, the other day, my car wouldn't start. We were at church, and, and there's Brian right on the spot helping me, you know what I mean? Lifting that, I mean, it makes a car trouble. Well, anybody could help. Well, it was a huge burden. Where, how am I going to get my car home? He's on the phone calling a mechanic, getting a guy out. It was just awesome. So we can do these kind of things for one another. There's the, the physical, the, the emotional, and the spiritual burdens we have, and we as body of Christ are called to bear those one another, to view the burdens of others as your burdens as well. And, and I know there are some people that in our body that do that on a regular basis, and, and I think I need to learn from them. So those are some awesome, great stories, but there's a danger. There's a danger when we begin to bear one another's burdens even, and we've seen that already, and that danger, again, is, is pride. Look at me. Look at how much I love and you don't. Look at me. I use my time to help others. What about you? Look at me. I'm, I'm so burdened with the burden of others. We forget that our ability to love, to fulfill the law of Christ, is only because of Christ in us. We take credit for what Christ has done. And I, think, I can think of, of no other sin worse than that. And Paul spends the next several verses dealing with it. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something, even if you heard your name today mentioned, sorry, I, I, I praise God for you, but, but this, this sometimes, I'm just saying, for, for those that are, are burden bearers, this is a temptation that's going to come. This is a temptation when, that's going to come. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. That's fairly harsh. Paul, well, Paul says, taking credit for what Christ has done 
is worthy of such harshness. Pride is a terrible thing. It causes us to believe that we deserve the glory that's reserved for God alone. I think when we share these things with one another, and we should continue to share these things, I think it's great. We all need to remember in our heart of hearts that it's, it's God working in and through Charlie Brown and Brian Arts and Denise Wide and others. It's God working in and through these people, and God should be glorified. Paul's clear. We may think we're something. We may practice self-deception, but in reality, we're nothing. Now, this isn't referring to our physical presence, our existence. We exist. What it's referring to is our moral standing before God and others. When we think we, are some, we have something to offer in ourself, or when we think we're better than others, then we're deceiving ourselves. The truth of the matter is this. Romans 3, chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is the nothing that we are without Christ. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We have no understanding in ourselves. We don't even have the ability to seek God within ourselves. God has to give us the ability to seek God. We've turned aside from God. We've become worthless to God. There's nothing in us He can even use. We have no ability or desire to do good. We are nothing without Christ. Christ is everything. Therefore, pride in ourselves is not only evil, it's foolishness. Our proper response to the ability to give love, to the ability to bear someone's burdens, is humility and gratitude. To fall on our face and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've worked so much in my heart, that you've renewed my heart, that I'm able to step out. Thank you, Jesus, that I can now fulfill the law of Christ because I have Christ in me. Thank you, Jesus, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It is all about Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ living through us. Christ gets the credit for all you and I are able to accomplish, for Your part, my part, is to put our faith in Christ. Now Paul addresses another another way that we allow pride to get a foothold into our lives. And this this is difficult here, this verse. I found it difficult, so hang hang on for a second. Verse 4, but let each one of you test his own work, and then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Okay? Now, at first reading or reading it out of context, this verse seems uh, fairly strange. In chapter 5, verse 26, Paul says, Do not to be conceited or boastful. And in verse 6, chapter 3, it says that you're nothing. Now, in verse 4, he says that our reason to boast is in ourself alone. So what's going on here? Are we supposed to boast in ourselves, or are we not supposed to boast in ourselves? What's, what's this verse teaching? Again, this is an, 
easy, but this is what I, what I found. I'm going to share with you what I found in studying and thinking about this verse, praying over this verse. Paul begins by saying that, that we should test our own work. How should we test our work? It seems that in the, this context, we're called to test our work and see if it's fulfilling the law of Christ. Is it fulfilling the law of love or not? Is your work fulfilling the law of love? Are we bearing the burdens of others out of love or some other motivation? Now, what could that other motivation be if it's not love? Again, the context supplies the answer. The other reason is pride. To be seen and held up by others, to gain glory for yourself, to be seen as better than your neighbor. If your motivation for bearing the burdens of others is to gain glory for yourself by showing that you're more, quote-unquote, spiritual than someone else, then your works fail the test. Our pride loves to compare ourselves to other people, our neighbors, especially those who are not as, quote-unquote, spiritual as we are. But the works or lack of works of your neighbor is not the standard for our comparison. Don't measure your achievements by the lack of achievements of others. Measure, test your own work by the law of Christ, the law of love. And if you pass, if your works are being done out of love, if you have reason to boast, then boast in that. Never boast in the fact that you're doing better than others. I think that's what he's saying here, that, that we shouldn't boast because, hey, I'm doing the, uh, out of all the people in this group, I'm the best. And what does Paul mean by boasting? Again, the context provides the answers. Ten verses later, Paul says in Galatians six fourteen, but far be it from me to boast, same word used in verse 4, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we can boast, but not in ourselves. We can boast in Jesus Christ. We can boast in the work that Christ Jesus is doing in and through us. We can boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus. We can boast in our ability to love because the Son of God came down and demonstrated the greatest love of all on the cross. Then Paul says in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. A little strange too. Is verse 5 a contradiction of verse 2? Bear one another's burdens? It's not, just just so you know. Paul's not talking about our burdens, heavy, weighty matters, issues that people are dealing with in their lives. He's He's not talking about the bearing of physical, emotional, or spiritual needs. The word load is a different Greek word from from that burden word. It means a task or a service. Each one of us is called to bear, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, by bearing the burdens of others, fulfilling the law of Christ. Each one of us is given certain responsibilities from the Lord. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our load is the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. And we need to bear our load. We need to walk in those works. Always remembering that we never, no, never walk alone. We walk with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. 
Now, if we put verses 4 and 5 together, it seems Paul's emphasizing the fact that every believer is accountable to God for the ministry he calls us to. Our job is not to compare ourselves to the load that other believers are called to. Our job is not to evaluate whether they're doing enough ministry or not. Our job is to do what God has called us to do. So, in response to this passage this morning, I would just ask, what has God called you to do? Where is God calling you to help to restore another believer? Where is God calling you to help to bear a burden for one who's in need? But I would warn with Paul, be careful. As as you seek to restore those who are fallen, as you seek to bear the burdens of others, don't let pride get a foothold. Don't let conceit enter in. Remember that your ability to restore, your ability to bear the burdens of others is only due to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's only because of the power of God's Spirit working in and through you. We are nothing. Christ is everything. So as we serve one another, as we bear one another's burdens, remember to always give God the praise and honor and glory for his work in and through our lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you call us to relationship with one another. Lord, that you call us to restore one another when we're, when we're caught in sin. Lord, not to condemn, not to provoke, not to envy, Father, but to restore in, in gentleness, to repair Lord, I pray that that's the kind of people we would be. We would be people that are are willing to restore one another. Lord, and I pray that we would also be people that that opened our eyes, opened our ears, listened and and looked for, for the burdens, for the heavy things in the lives of those around us. And Lord, because of of your spirit, because of of your love in our hearts, I pray that, Lord, that we would bear one another's burdens. Lord, not for our own glory, not for our own boasting, but only that we might boast in the love that that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray.